and welcome to The Prime Actor with me, comedian, actress and writer Maddie-Anne Holt. And me, young performance agent Rhiannon Mosson. In The Prime Actor, we bring you an all-access pass to the world of acting, singing, dance, musical theatre. The Prime Actor is sponsored by the Anna Fiorentini Theatre and Film School, an award-winning part-time drama school. They have branches all over London and have recently opened their doors for in-person classes again. Their sister company is Stage in the City, which runs performing arts classes for adults. In the Prime Actor, we pool our knowledge, share our skills and tackle a topic every Friday that will put you in the know all about the world of acting. Today, we're joined by actor, podcast host and all-round good egg, Ashley Tabatabai. Ashley is an award-winning international actor and filmmaker and host of the Ash Tabba Show, which sees Ashley interview an eclectic mix of casting directors. So today we thought it's only fit to be talking hustle, how to make it happen yourself, and what he's learned peeking behind the scenes of the world of casting. <laughs> Still a little bit stressed on the pronunciation of your surname. Welcome to my world. <laughs> 38 years of that, that's my life. <laughs> Um, we've got, we've both got our Iranian heritage, so really, I should, I mean, it doesn't mean anything really, but I really should have had some attempt, and I I was practicing that. I mean, but I think we're both the same, neither of us speak Farsi, we're sort of, you know, uh, parents from Iranian sort of lineage, but a bigger multicultural mix, and no one taught me Farsi, I was just learning English my whole life. So if you gave me a surname in Iranian that's not mine, I'd be the same. Like, how do you <laughs> say that? What? Hmm. Well, my surname I think you is... nailed it, Maddie. Well, yeah, thanks. you nailed it. Thank you so much. My surname is Dutch, actually. But... Just to add some extra spice and pepper I mean, into it. I do the... speak, I have worked quite a lot in Holland. I do speak a little bit of Dutch. Okay. I was... It's hard though. They all speak, they all speak English in Holland though. So I it's know. just, you have no excuse to, to even try. Um, yeah, anyway, this is not what we're talking, not talking about surname. No, Rihanna, no. What's your, where's your, what's your heritage, please? Um, my surname is French. French, Iranian, is that what you wanted? Dutch, eclectic mix we've got going on. Um, actually, it's you... good to get it right, actually, because I, yeah. I was listening to um, the author Candice Brathwaite, and uh, she was talking about how people pronounce it Braithwaite all the time and it's like lazy because people are just not making the effort and I always thought I never correct people I get called Rihanna all the time Mm. all the time and I never correct people and that really made me think like no it is important to get an individual's name right and just make that effort so it's good that we've learned your name today Ashley (laughs) there we go there we go I feel like I've learned my own name as well I feel like I feel guilty after that wonderful speech though there because I'm like oh I have not been putting in the effort myself on my own name. See, we should, you know, take that power and embrace This is a name. new podcast. This podcast is just about, like, names and lineage. It's, Actually, it's the ancestry, Ancestry.co.uk sponsored 100%. Podcast. Let's do that. Actually, I got called Mandy today. You see? And did you I did, correct them? I did correct, and then she called me it a second time. So I was like, well, <laughs> you just don't care. I Try get it growing all. up in Spain where they can't pronounce S-H at all. Mm. They just can't do it. So I'm not called Ashley in Spain, even though they try. I'm called Ashley. Ashley. I quite like that. I should yeah, have introduced it. Even if you correct them. <laughs> it's not his name, yeah, do, do another <laughs> intro. Anyway, listen. Yes. Well, let's move on from the name chat. Um, a man after my own heart. And I think we too. The queens, the kings and queens of hustle. Um, 
you're a, a lot of a self-starter um looking through your very impressive cv obviously so at Anna Fiorentini we teach a lot about um making your own work making it happen yourself not waiting for someone like re to pick up the phone because sometimes if re like especially at a time like this re an agent is doing her best to pick up the phone and get people jobs but there, there ain't no work out there really um so have you always been a self-starter um it's a tough one to answer i mean i think if i look back the nice romantic answer would be yes of course since birth i've always been this way but i don't think it's as clear cut as that i think i made a conscious decision about 2014 2015 to sort of really do my own work and, and really delve into it i think what i would say as a caveat to that is rather than a self-starter i think i've always been a little bit of a questioner that's definitely been a trait that i've had from like day one and I think that inherently then lends itself to wanting to look at different ways of doing different things. Um, so I suppose questioning and curiosity, sometimes not always in the best way, um, lends itself to self-starting. But I don't think the physical act of doing it has been something I've done, you know, in perpetuity. I mean, I've worked corporate jobs. I've done the university route in a non-artistic uh, way. So um taking my sort of bag and doing my own thing has been more recent. I like that about questioning. I think um, I think that's so important in this business to have to be open and to um, like I, I'm, I'm huge. I, I mean, I, you know, I started listening to your podcast and you, we'll get on to that. But um, this idea that there's oh God, I hate it when people use the phrase gatekeepers. Oh, it drives me quite like this idea that you know, there's these like ethereal, you know, white men with long beards at the very top of all of this that, you know, are in charge. And I think the more that that's taught to us, the more impenetrable this industry seems. Um, and actually, if you do start questioning and, and kind of, I feel like the power is taken away so quickly in this industry. And you're left with kind of like this sort of empty feeling of like, oh, is that gonna happen? I mean, I know I'm the happiest when I'm writing stuff and creating stuff. And I was going to say, do you find, both of you, do you enjoy the work more if it's something you've created? I don't know. I mean, I suppose you feel like it's more rewarding because you're the one that's planted the seeds. So it definitely feels, there's times where you don't enjoy it at all because you have more responsibility. So that's why it's a harder one to, to answer. What I think, though, is you're less wary of waiting for a chance or an opportunity to work and get a job or an audition and to, to maddie's point you take the power back because you can create on your own terms and so in that sense the whole thing holistically becomes more enjoyable even if it's an audition for someone else's work or your own piece because you're less stressed out you're less worried about well, when am I next going to get a chance to... Like, It's been six months and my agent's not called and I've been to 17 workshops and no one's called me in and I'm getting into Bitterville because I'm spending all this money on headshots. And that's the game. But if you just play the game side of it, then you're only looking at like a third of the equation. That's not real stats or maths. I feel like I'm doing a, a Trump-esque approach here and throwing <laughs> random numbers. That don't mean anything. Um... It's a third, I swear, it's a third. No, it's just whatever, you know, it's a small fraction of what we do. Um, and 
you know, I spoke to Richard Hicks, a casting person, a few weeks ago. He's done Gravity and Zero Dark Thirty, like loads of huge films. His whole run through the whole thing was, I'm all about actors being empowered. I'm all about actors being empowered. So when you walk into the room and you're not empowered and you're clinging on to some desperate need for a job, they can sense it. And you're not going to book the job in a counterintuitive way. So long answer to the sort of question is it's more enjoyable when you just do your own thing because you're doing it for you. I think that's a really good point. When you go into, I think most of like the castings that I just got just before lockdown were I was working on my show and I was busy with my show and I went in kind of going like, I don't, it'd be nice to get this. I don't need this. I mean, it's the same with everything, isn't it? You know, um, I think when you just take away the need and you're like, I'm okay either way, I'm fine. Then do you think, that, do you, what about you, Ree, from an agent's point of view? Can you smell desperation? <laughs> yes, constantly. <laughs> no, it's actually interesting because it's reminded me of a, it was a podcast I listened to when uh, with Dan, now I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Levy. Le- oh yeah. Shit's Creek yeah, yeah. writer, creator, yeah, yeah, yeah. genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was talking about the process of, of, of him putting together Shit's Creek, basically, and, and how nervous he used to get about auditions. Um, and actually, he got in quite a lot of trouble with his casting director because he let the auditions go on and on and on and on because he could see that these actors were so nervous and he wanted to give them what he felt he would have wanted in an audition room. And I found that really interesting, that actually when you've got experience of of kind of both sides of it, maybe you do approach things differently because you've kind of maybe got that understanding of kind of how it feels to feel that nervous or, yeah, and I, do, I thought that was quite an interesting anecdote that he, yeah. he clearly he's like owning the world now. Mm, I love that success. though. And I, I actually would say, I remember my first work experience was at, uh, I think it was TCG Casting in London and and I was like 17 years old and I knew I wanted to be an actor and it just terrified me but I'm glad I did it because I was like oh oh no yeah it really is this cutthroat okay right yeah no they just got rid of that girl because her hair was slightly too long which she, she could have cut it you know <laughs> um, what and about you, your and you take it super personally yeah. you know the, I, and I think you know, here's the deal. Everybody wants a magic bullet answer to everything in life because we're just not patient anymore. And everything has to be like yesterday. Um, and we all know that's not the case. There's no overnight success. Yes, lightning can strike. And every so often you see someone that's come out of nowhere that really has come out of nowhere. But that's not the norm. And you kind of have to go through the experience of auditioning a few quite a few times to just work that muscle because it's different to being in class and auditioning's not the same as working on set or on stage either it's like a different thing and skill unto itself um and i think you have to have some bad auditions and have the nerves my first audition was horrific my first audition i thought i was doing everything right and that whole kind of line that you get taught of be really still for the camera and don't do much and you know like don't furrow your brow and don't blink and I'm there with all these noises in my head that aren't my own voice from just you know different classes and I'm there thinking I'm doing a great job and literally I don't think I did anything I don't it was terrible um and I think you have to go through that and I think you also have to go through the 
booking the job in your mind before you even like do the audition. You know, you, you're like, oh my God, it's that much money or it's that show and getting in your own head about it until after, you know, however long it might be, you start to realize that you can't control any of it and you're just stressing yourself out and you're going to have a lot more fun if you just let go and enjoy the process, which sounds very hallmark because everyone says it, but I kind of think it's the truth. And it's something I noticed with the young actors that I work with, that's a lot easier for them because the stakes are different. So it doesn't mean they want the job any less, but they're Mm. kind of, you know, what's at stake is, is different. You know, they don't have their rent to pay or their bills to pay. Like, and, and so I kind of really love seeing that in, in the, um, young actors that I work with and also they they forget about it really quickly yeah. once they've done it they're like oh, yeah and you'll say oh you know the here's some feedback from three weeks oh I don't even remember I went to that and I that's really lovely and you do see a change you know I work with kind of some young adults as well who stayed with us I've looked after them since they were young um, and you do see that change in in them and then you know suddenly things there's a lot more at stake for them which you know is inevitable um, but that is a side of it I really love that I can kind of it's just like fun they can have fun when they go to an audition and and the casting directors maybe are a bit kind of uh you know they not not take it easier on the children but it's you know it is different different yeah. experience. Mm. I mean I rem- there's a bit in Brian Cranston's book A Life in Parts where he talks about uh, I might have even mentioned this on the podcast before but the idea of letting go and that the um, the job is the is the audition not the job itself so when you've done the job he does this like almost ceremonious thing of deleting all the emails and getting rid of all of the script and being like that was a good job and I try and do that and actually the last thing I went to before lockdown where I just went in and I was like, and my my favorite kind of auditions are the, the improv. I love them. Like, that's my favorite. My worst kind, although obviously it's the one that we get the most, are the commercials where it's like three lines and I just cannot learn them. It, I just, I can't <laughs> learn to, I can't do it. But um, And there's the imaginary pink elephant, but you're running through a meadow, but now the meadow is a forest and now I it's a beach. I could do that. I love that. Oh, I love, I love okay. all of that. But um, anyway, we're, com- we're going off track. So f- falsified film. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yes. Oof. So it was a short, did very well. And this, I don't know if the word circuit is right. Circuit, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so talk to, us, talk to us about falsified film and your process and how that came about. It was the first short film I did under my production company. Um, I'd done some films with collaborators before and, and sort of worked hand in hand with them. But this was... I guess my first stab at writing something myself and um, and putting it out there. And so growing up in Spain, I was acutely aware of this stolen baby scandal that had happened in Spain and naively assumed that everybody knew about it. Um, and I quickly learned once the film came out that that isn't the case and that it was hidden pretty well. Um, and it is essentially about, you know, a man whose son was stolen at birth and decades later he thinks he's finally found his long lost child and and this is the kind of stuff that was happening in real life to to a lot of people and i thought what an interesting thing to touch on and write about but do it from the point of view of the human side because all the stuff that was out in the media at the time was about the high-end level of just numbers and numbers of cases and it, it 
it wasn't as much about just the humanity behind it. And I thought, well, what what would it be like if a man who's effectively lived 60 plus years of his life meets his son who's in his mid 30s and has to try and convince him that he's his son in the first place? And just what's what's the awkwardness around that? Are you biologically there's the paternal link, but is there anything more than that? And we really wanted to, I think, delve into that and, and explore that as a theme. Um, as a process, as I said, it was the first thing I wrote. So it probably took me about six months, which is a long time for a short film script. But I think that's because I was, you know, I had two or three times where I was staring at a blank wall thinking this isn't going to work. Um, and luckily having collaborators that could then help me come out of that and, and tweak as we went along. Um, and we were very lucky, you know, we we managed to, to get into some pretty big film festivals and um, and that was, I think, a blessing for your first film to be able to to sort of get it to that level. And for me, it was it was that first step of this is what happens when you make your own work. And, you know, it's four years since we did it. And even now it's still it's out there. I'm not, I don't do anything with it, but it kind of has a life of its own. So it's just gone up on my five uh, and it's on my five until November. And that's only you know been a recent thing. And that's because we were approached by a distributor who has a partnership with My5 and they found it. And I think that's the other thing about creating your own work that you then, I'm going to talk about businessy here, but you own assets. You know, you then own a film, you then own a theater piece, you then own the rights to your work and your story, which can create all kinds of different opportunities, whether it's financial or someone sees it and then wants to give you an audition because there's a role that now they've seen you in that they wouldn't see you in otherwise. And and that's been a beautiful part of the journey for me as the actor, but also lots of other people on the cast and crew have had similar things where they've been able to use that to get better work as a DOP or more work as an editor. And I think that's what it's about. You know, we're, we're collaborators as artists. And I think that, ethos for me is super important to kind of all rise up together that sounds again very hallmark and very blah cliche no, i love that i love no, that it's because we're so often told that we're, it's a competition and you're all kind of you know grappling over the same thing and actually if you work together then you know yeah. you're all going to get something out of it like you said your kind of your colleagues on the film have also benefited from that Exactly. And I, I think it's a, it's a, like such a learning thing because I, I think how I don't know how long you've been going like going prof, you know professionally, um, but I only just did my first short just like right. just before lockdown, and I remember having a bit of a like I, I now can look back at myself and say wow that was not the best attitude, <laughs> because I remember being like ah, oh, I don't really want to do this short but I'll just do it and that short film has got me through so many tours ridiculous doors that I never like Palm Springs and like you know doors that I've got like an American market asking for things and actually I think that the kind of grassroots stuff the like you say collaborator stuff is quite often the 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 content the work that I I know now like I can look back I'm you know really one to sort of address perhaps times in my life where I've had you know maybe not the right uh perspective on things especially to do with work um but I think now, like understanding that the like you say, the process of collaborating and coming together on projects and the doors that those that that opens is I, f I feel hugely beneficial and not 
really spoken about that much. Really, how many um, sort of shorts and collaborative? I mean, do your clients collaborate between themselves? Is that encouraged? Um, yeah, although because they're young, like yeah. that happens less. Um, we have done some. We did uh, create a film festival at the school one year, um, which was really great, and and hired a cinema, and the students all got to see their film and themselves on the big screen, which was quite special. Um, but my clients do a lot of short films and a lot of student films and I really encourage it because for some it's their first job it's the first time they're in front of a camera you know with a whole crew and understanding what that means um, and also it's it's uh, some showreel material something on their CV like there are so many benefits for them doing it at that age um, and so that you know like you said Maddie maybe you looked at at it in a way that now you wouldn't perhaps if you'd done them kind of mm. at a younger age maybe you would look at it differently I don't know um yeah so I absolutely. would really encourage it for, for our mm. clients and I think the thing if I can just quickly add to that for, for the younger people like I did my first shorts when I was coming out of university so 21 22 um the key thing isn't about what it's maybe going to get you then and there but if you've worked with people on these shorts making relationships with them at the early age that you'll eventually realize that maybe over time you may be going to become friends with some of them you know that's what's happened to me like one of my closest collaborators i was in his graduation film and now we're friends first and then we just so happen to be this thing where he's an editor director and we can collaborate on projects and i think if you know i were to go back and think of all the shorts at a younger age, that would be the main thing in my head. Not so much how am I looking on camera, because that's you're gonna make mistakes when you're young. This is your kind of chance to do that. But can I meet great people that I vibe with that we can then make stuff together, you know, and that's that's super important, I think. Yeah, and a hundred percent the the some of the young people who've done short films, those producers, those directors have called on them again for for projects later down the line so that that chain a hundred percent works you know if, if they can see that you're good at what you do you're working hard then they're gonna call you again so yeah and yeah. also if you're a good like your personality yeah absolutely you know that's a big one when i spoke to i'm gonna i sound like i'm name dropping no here. i was gonna it's ask just, you about some cat this is what i want to move on to anyway casting director stuff so go ahead well because so i mean i'll move on to faye timby who worked with sophie holland and they cast the witcher and during lockdown people probably saw there was a lot of this on twitter casting crushes corona hashtag going around and they were really great at trying to give people one-to-ones as much as they could and i think you know they're many celebrities unto themselves so I think they couldn't cater to the masses. But one really important thing that she said when I spoke to her was your your personality and who you are as a human is equally as important as your talent. They're both important. You've got to have talent. But if you're talented but impossible to work with or not a nice person, you'll get one job, but that's it. Like People will remember. And I just think that seems really obvious and that should be regular in every walk of life but sometimes it's good to have a little reminder that you know we want to work with the good people like she said on the witcher you're working five six months together they're all grouped together on set they're a little family you want to be around people you get on with as much as you can mm. um yeah 
and so your your podcast, the Ash Taver Show. Um, mm. I don't know if I can really ask you what's your favorite being so far, or who, the, who your favorite person you've been so far. But maybe we could just twist that and say what's what's the kind of key piece of advice that has that you listened to that has really stuck with you that you've just gone okay, that's blown my mind. Um, that is still a tough question to answer. I'm not going to skirt it. I'm going to try and give some feedback to it that's sort of helpful. I don't know if for me there was, for me, I don't think there was any one thing that anyone said that I felt, oh my God, that's radically changed things for me. I think it was more reaffirming things I already knew and then seeing it come from so many people, granted in different ways, the same themes coming through was reassuring because you start to go, okay, there are certain through lines that are the same here. So I guess my main takeaways would be, again, there's no magic bullet. So this is a subjective industry. So what one casting person likes, a different casting person might have a totally different opinion. So that then goes to the next sort of main piece of advice from all of them, which is don't come in to try and please me. Again, I go back to Richard Hicks. That was his main thing of empower yourself, but don't come in to try and please me. If you're trying to please me, you're not gonna. You're definitely not getting the job. Where if you come in and own it and just give your version of your take on the material, you're still probably not guaranteed to get the job either. But you're gonna feel much more comfortable with the work you've done, happier with it, and you'll stand a better chance of getting the job. After that, it's it's up to a myriad of things. It's up to you know, do you fit into the big puzzle of the overall cast in terms of aesthetic, vibe, look? Do they like you? Maybe they don't like you personally. Maybe you remind them of someone that they dated that they now hate. Like, I don't know. Um, I'd love there's... the idea that that's the reason you know, we, we didn't, you know, meet the Oscar-worthy actors that we should. Yes. That's why I tell myself I don't book jobs. It's just that I remind them of someone that they used to date and they, they inherently hate me because of that. Um, that would be the main tidbit, I think, from an ethereal point of view. If you want a little more sort of practical tidbit, um, I spoke to Carly Famalant. She's a New York-based casting director. She works with, she's casting associate for Roy Bergman. They did like The Post by Spielberg and all these crazy projects. And she said something that was a nice reframe when she was talking about self-taping. And I think it's important to touch on because that's pretty much where we are now with the current climate. Every casting person has pretty much said self-taping is now like, that's it. Uh, Some are saying we're only going to self-tape and you probably won't meet in person at all. Some are saying it'll at least be self-tape for the first round, maybe second. So we have to get very comfortable with knowing how to do that technically, but also when you self-tape, you don't have the casting person in the room to give you notes or shift your performance in that second or third take. So then it's very much on you in terms of trying to figure out what kind of performance to give and also know when to stop. Like you don't want to spend three hours doing a zillion takes of five lines. So the key thing that Carly said to me was auditioning in person and self-taping are like, skills separate skills unto themselves they don't want to see you as like an amazing cinematographer or editor they're not trying to hire you as a crew member just get good lighting a clear backdrop the basic stuff that you know most agents can inform their clients into what to do 
but the main thing is your preparation. And what she said was, you need to be a detective. You as the actor, if you have very little information, have to be a detective with what are you given on the sides? What's on that page? If you don't have the whole script, what's in the breakdown and the email from your agent? If you don't even have that, research the producers or the casting people or the director and see what they've done in the past and see what kind of vibe and tone those shows have. And whilst it's not an exact spot on science, all those little small things you do sounds like homework, but it is like all that it will help you feel more calm and assured and at ease, but also inform a choice that you can make with that piece. You don't feel like you're in the dark. And I just think that's an important thing to keep doing and practicing because that's the new that's it now that's this is what we're going to be dealing with yeah i think that's solid advice it's really you know i always say don't rush like you know don't leave it until 15 minutes before i said i need that tape from you because <clears throat> i can tell and if i can tell you've done that then definitely the cast directors can so you know give yourself that time I mean, I do actually have someone out at an audition today in person, and that Ooh. gives me real joy okay. and excitement. <clears throat> Although, Rhi, you, ju- you just said that, and I actually do have a self tape in for four o'clock, so... <laughs> what? You're like the down on my terrible list. Lucky not my client. Um, it's, it's not a big TV, it's just a commercial. We're fine. <laughs> We're fine. Still, I oh, can just a tell. commercial. No, I'll Listen to it. her. Listen to her. <laughs> I only just got it yesterday. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yes. you've given us so many words of wisdom. Um, I, for one, feel inspired, feel informed. I'm going to be less, definitely listening back to this um, and, and kind of picking up those, those clues. But um, in terms of your podcast, where can people listen to your podcast and hear more about you in general? So, I've got it on YouTube. Um, I'll send you a link, but it's right. just, you know, my name, Ashley Tabatabai, but I won't make you spell it out now. <laughs> um, and then podcast-wise, it's on it's on all the main podcast spots, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and it's just The Ash Tava Show. So, um, type that in. I'm sure you'll find it. And there's, I think, close to 40 episodes now. 80% of them are casting directors um, from both the U.S. and the U.K., um and you know hopefully there's something in there that at least one person finds finds helpful or inspiring and and it's all free and it's you know just just content for people to take on board and some of these people have been doing this for a long long time i've just posted today what is it it's 24th of september uh jane jenkins is a legendary casting director so if you go on that'll be one of my more recent ones she's cast everything like all your favorite movies a Few Good Men, When Harry Met Sally, Beetlejuice, uh, Home Alone, like just the list is endless. She has so many great stories, so many great words of wisdom. Um, and, you know, again, we'll go back to round this off to the gatekeeper quote that you started with. I've said that a lot on the show. You know, oh, we all think casting are the gatekeepers to Narnia is my lame kind of quote. Um, and they always say, no, they're not. Jane said, we are the gatekeepers. And I was like, oh, what? And she's like, we are the gatekeepers, but my job, in my opinion, isn't to close the gate to you. My job's to open the gate to you. And I thought, okay, that's an amazing reframe that just if someone takes that on board alone, casting is the middle ground between you and a job. 
they don't make final say on that job nine times out of ten or all the time. But they're not there to stop you getting in. They're not there to close you out. They're there to open the gate and welcome you in. And I thought, wow, okay. And coming from her, I'm taking that advice to the That's bank. Amazing. Like amazing. She gave the world Macaulay Culkin. So you Yes. Know, yes. Let's, you know, embrace her and everything exactly. she says. Exactly. Um, but thank you so much for your time today, Ashley. We've loved having you on. Thank um, you. If you have a burning question to ask about the world of acting or agenting, then you can find us on Instagram at the Prime Actor Podcast. We're going to finish each week with a quote to motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. Today's is from American film actress Betty Davis, whose career spanned over 60 years. Without wonder and insight, acting is just a business. With it, it becomes creation. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the Anna Fiorentini Theatre and Film School, then you can head to the website www.annafiorentini.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.